You are Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back. A Friday edition of the Locked On Syracuse podcast. Congrats on making it through the week if you are listening on Friday. Today, we will wrap up the week by continuing our conversation with Anthony DeBundo, who is one of the football beat writers over at the Daily Orange this year. We talked offense with him yesterday, kind of previewing that side of the ball as he dove into some of the analytics in his article that is up on the Daily Orange website. Today we will talk defense with DeBundo and go into some interesting stats from his research and really just everything to look out for as a fan this year in this 3-3-5 defense as Syracuse tries to shift out of the troubles they've had on that side of the ball a little bit in the Dino era. So we will chat defense today. Feel free to follow the show on Twitter. It's at LO underscore Syracuse. And hang around till the end here because we all give our magic number on how many wins we think Syracuse football will get in this very, very strange season. So without any further delay, let's bring in DeBundo to talk some defense. I want to start out just the 3-3-5 defense. I'm curious your take on how this will change the identity of the defense, if at all. because. The way I think of Syracuse's defense right now, the past two years, and I know you wrote about how there was a little bit of a regression turnover-wise in this article, but honestly, I was pretty floored that they even got as many turnovers as they did last year because they got so many two years ago, and we know Cisco gets a lot of interceptions. So I, I view Syracuse as a defense that allowed a ton of big plays, but also somehow got a lot of turnovers. Do you think by introducing this new 3-3-5, will the identity and what they're known for change at all? I don't think so. Uh, I think that uh, the biggest thing you have to look at with the Syracuse defense from last season was the explosive plays. As, as, as non-explosive as they were defensively or offensively, they gave up way too many big plays. In fact, I think there was only about a dozen teams in the entire country who were worse in terms of defensive explosiveness than the orange last year. So, you know, we all watched the the Clemson game when Clemson broke off two big touchdowns. Uh, we all watched Florida state where, uh, like, uh, yeah, Cam Akers ran all over them and broke multiple big plays. Boston college, obviously the game that got Brian Ward fired, uh, AJ Dillon and them running for, you know, a million yards against the orange. So those are the number one thing. And I think Andre Cisco talked about it a little bit. He was asked what, went wrong last season he said that the consistency was a problem and you know the missing plays uh in terms of you know just general success rate the defense wasn't as bad as as when you look at the overall plays they were the third worst in terms of defensive success rate so it's not good only louisville and boston college were worse but the explosive number has to come down Uh, as far as the 335 goes i think it adds another player at their best position group in general that their defensive back are really good. Uh, I have a lot of optimism for Ify Melifonwu and Trill Williams on the outside to play a lot of press man, uh, 6'2 and 6'4. And then obviously Cisco is the best player on the team. He's an NFL play- player. Uh, Eric Coley had a decent end to last season. Cisco said that the rover position, which is kind of the fifth de- the fifth uh, defensive back, has been rotating through multiple guys in practice. And, and DeVito gave high praise to his defense. And, and based on what Baber said in practice, it seems like the defense was getting the better – of the offense in those scrimmages. When you look at, and you bring up Andre Cisco and the, the explosive plays that these opposing offenses had on this team. Um, But defensively, I mean, David Hale, I think has crunched the numbers from ESPN 
and said that a lot of it is actually on Cisco for these explosive plays. But is there another player who the numbers don't really favor in terms of the defensive explosive plays allowed? Yeah, we don't get the play-by-play data. I, I, I'd have to look at what, what Hale has on that uh, to know exactly. But the, the numbers on rushing plays were worse than passing plays. Uh, so obviously, when you're getting gashed for huge runs uh, you know, defensively, Usually it means that your linebackers are getting caught, but also your safeties are taking bad angles or they're getting they're getting blocked up, which cannot happen. Uh, so, you know, that does fall on Cisco. As good as he was in past defense, he led, led the country in interceptions two years ago uh, and obviously was injured in and out of the lineup last year. Those rushing explosive plays, uh, they're a big issue. And so they have to they have to come down. Uh, if if they want to have any chance of of being successful, they were I think the sixth worst against pass on explosive plays, and then they were the second worst against uh, the rushing explosive plays. So only one team in the conference was worse on rushing explosiveness. And that was Louisville. So they they have to be better in that category. It's like what you said about the offensive line. It, it can only go up. <laughs> That's one way of looking at it compared to how they did last year. Yeah, so, and unlike unlike the 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 offensive changes post by, uh, the defense did not improve against Louisville and against Wake Forest. So I think uh, that's a concern. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Are you more concerned about the defensive unit or the offensive unit? Because I know Baber said some good things in the scrimmage, as you mentioned about the defense, but I think I probably fall on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I will. I will agree with that. Uh, if with one big caveat, if the offensive line is, is what right. to be, if, if they roll out those four guys, those five guys that we're expecting, even without Blake, I think the Syracuse offense will be okay. I think the Syracuse front six now, like we can't even say front seven anymore. Front six uh, <laughs> is probably the weakest group uh, in, in many years in Syracuse. I want to get back to the the turnover regression because I found it very interesting. And again, we, we see this in the NFL. We see it in college football where if you have a giant spike, you're probably going to regress more to the mean. And while Syracuse took a step back turnover wise, it was not to the degree that I think most people would have expected, at least that are privy to these sort of numbers. So is this just going to be, have to be the MO of the team is we can expect volume turnovers for the secondary and the, the linebacking core. Yeah. I, I don't know how reliable that that is as a long-term strategy. Um, yeah. Right. And, and so, but if you look at a lot of Dino's Bowling down. green teams too, it, th- yeah. that was one of their MOs too, is they would intercept a lot of passes. Yeah. I think, I think well, there is a college football metric called havoc and I don't have the numbers right in front of me, um, but there are definitely, tr- I read from Colin Wilson, uh, from the Action Network, who's written a lot about havoc, he says that there's absolutely a correlation between coaching and creating havoc defensively. Uh, which havoc is just n- negative plays, turnovers, uh, you know, really screwing up the rhythm of the offense, basically in any way, shape, or form. Syracuse has been up there the last two years in defensive havoc. Um, they struggled significantly last year in preventing havoc on the offensive side of the ball. Now, as far as the Syracuse defense is concerned, I think that anytime you have a ball hawk like Cisco in the back of your secondary, you're going to create turnovers. And I think there aren't a lot of great quarterbacks in the ACC, which definitely plays into their favor uh, in terms of, you know, stopping other teams and, and creating. But mistakes. all the good ones are on Syracuse's schedule, ironically. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Carolina. Um, well, Wake Forest. Clemson, obviously. Uh, yeah, and Clemson. I mean, the, the and schedule. Notre Dame too. 
schedule is the schedule. I mean, they, they got they got pretty cooked by you know going to the ACC only schedule and adding two ranked teams and losing uh, Colgate, Mayor, uh, Colgate, Rutgers, and um, Western Michigan. So obviously that's gonna hurt, right? You know, that's a whole another story. But getting beyond even the record in terms of just looking at how good is Syracuse, um, the turnovers come down to whether or not DeVito takes care of the ball. I mean, he had five interceptions last year. That's pretty good. You'd take that, you'd sign up for that, and you'd absolutely take five. You'd even take six or seven if he's going to throw one every other game. That's pretty damn good for for a player in his first year as a full starter. All right, Anthony, we got to take a quick break because we got to give the listeners out there a quick update on our favorite protein bar on the market. They are back, Built Bar. Six new amazing flavors to add to the repertoire here, including cookies and cream, which I cannot wait to try. Desperately hoping that comes in my next box, which is on the way. You can order your next box today of these delicious protein bars that are somehow healthy for you. Go to BuiltBar.com. Use our promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your next order. And if you order now, while supplies last, you might even get a free cooler with that purchase, which is huge right now for the summertime so go to builtbar.com cannot say enough good things about these protein bars we don't just rave about them for nothing they seriously are the best protein bars i have ever tasted in my life and they are great for you too low calories low sugar but somehow high protein and high fiber and they taste like a candy bar so stop everything you're doing i promise you will not regret going to builtbar.com use our promo code locked on they'll get you ten dollars off your next order at builtbar.com Okay, so the penalties is something I want to ask you about, too. And honestly, these numbers have just been objectively bad, even when the team was good in 2018, it seems like, from what you gathered here. What are the numbers on the penalties? And do you have any sort of bearing as to why Syracuse seems to always get penalized? I think pace might play a part of it, right? Um, The offensive line had a a lot of procedural penalties from holding to false starts. Uh, last year. And I think that was one thing that really set the offense behind even more so than the running game. It was every time that they started on a first and 15, it felt like there was almost no way they were going to get 15 yards. Uh, So they had 9.1 penalties per game in 2019, which was the second worst uh, in the ACC behind FSU 9.3. You know, from what we remember about Florida state last year, they had a lot of disciplinary issues, a lot of personal fouls, uh, Syracuse had multiple targeting penalties in, in the same game. They had problems with that. He didn't, you know, he didn't blame his inexperienced players when Babers was asked about it. And that's one thing I found really interesting. The Daily Orange, uh, Eric Black wrote a story last year about penalties and, you know, why is Syracuse committing so many penalties? Babers didn't seem like he really had an answer. He just said, you know, we've got older guys having penalties. We can't have that. And that's not really an answer of how you're going to do better. Uh, so I don't, I don't know. I really can't understand it. You know, you have to be better in that department. It'll cost you games. It did cost them games last year. So that's really the number one thing. They're momentum killers more than anything else. I, I still maintain this this team. I mean, when you look at 2017 and 2018, they're, they're a penalty away from beating Clemson in back-to-back seasons. I mean, they had that yep. Tigers team on the ropes in Dungy's senior year. So, and then you have the illegal man downfield. Yep. But – um, well, the other thing that I found really interesting when you look at on the defensive side of the ball in this article that you wrote is, and again, this, you can find this on the dailyorange.com. There's two parts, there's an offense and then defense special teams, but 
it's the the red zone efficiency and Syracuse is near the bottom in both offensive and defensive efficiency inside the red zone nationally. And when I see that, what what's the reason for optimism that this team can be better off of that? Yeah. So one of the main things about being in the red zone is power success rate. And that's, that's the ability of your team to convert in tight spaces, most, mostly noted as, um, fourth, fourth and third downs and short. Uh, so everybody remembers the famous Clemson game, the blowout loss from last season, 17 to six in the third quarter, Syracuse gets multiple turnovers. They end up in Clemson territory inside the 20 yard line twice. Uh, there is a interception out of the back of the end zone by DeVito. And then there is the stop on f- after first and goal at the two yard line, a uh, power success rates, huge. Uh, and whether or not the orange are able to convert on those short downs comes down to the offensive line. Uh, the Orange were 65th in power success rate in 2019, which is much worse than they were in 2018. Uh, so again, you know, not to sound like a broken record, they were 31st in 2018. Not to sound like a broken record, but it comes down to the O-line. And I think that the 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 inability to get uh, separation from, from Jackson, who caught a lot of touchdowns, I'm worried about Harris and how well he's going to do in the red zone. Because, you know, Jackson was much better at getting separation and getting touchdowns. Harris hasn't proven himself in the red zone at all. Uh, so that's a concern. But again, if they block better, they'll be better in the red zone. And and, and red zone, like, turnovers tend to be kind of fluky up and down. Uh, creativity and play calling maybe maybe improved this year with Sterling Gilbert. But I think it's up and down as to, you know, what kind of red zone team they're going to be. But it, it matters a lot in, in, the, in the span of a 11-game season. Yeah, got to feed it to my guy Luke Benson when they get down there. Or Aaron. Yeah, well, I was going to say with with the tight ends, does it really make a lot of sense to you where when you look at the data that you presented offensively for this team, and again, the tight ends mostly using the red zone in this offense, is it surprising to you that they're ranked so low given that the tight ends have such great efficiency? Yeah, I would say so. I think think part of the lack of efficiency did ultimately come down to – the fact that they were trailing late in a lot of games. Um, so there was a, there was a, I went through the games a little bit and there was a multiple games where, you know, Syracuse is down a couple scores and they get a fourth down where they would probably kick a field goal, but because it's uh, you know, you're getting beat and you need seven, you're not going for seven. You're not going for three. You're going to go for seven then you get stopped. So there was a few, a few of those kind of situations sprinkled throughout the season, but then you also had situations where the team would get into the red zone. And then, you know, that's when the fumbles started to come. Those are killers. Uh, and, and DeVito did have a few interceptions in the red zone. So ultimately I think they're like game state, like how, how many are you down or are you winning by has a huge impact on red zone total efficiency. But even when you get down to touchdown field goal rate, it wasn't enough touchdowns. It was too much settling for field goals, uh, trotting out Andre Smith, who was very good again in 2019, but not quite as good as 2018. Uh, but yeah, I think it comes down to, to running the ball in the trenches and getting, uh, putting up sevens and not having Dungey to run hurts too. No yep. doubt. Yeah, that Clemson game was a textbook sort of this is terrible red zone offense at its finest, but I, I know you cited that in the article. Sticking with the defense though, 
on the on that side of the ball, I kind of asked you this question earlier on the offensive side of the ball, and you said Luke Benson, Juar, Jordan could surprise people. Anyone that you see, maybe it's based on numbers, maybe it's just based on instinct, could be a starter, could not be a starter, but just someone that you think could surprise some people on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Mikel Jones. Uh, he had a, uh, you know, he can, he comes in as kind of a linebacker in that three three five, and he's going to be asked to do a lot next year. Uh, he's a pretty highly touted prospect coming out as a, as a three-star guy, you know, from IMG, but you know, he has a lot of pressure on him uh, as, as the, as the guy who appeared in every game as a freshman, he's kind of going to be the guy with Williams uh, leaving the Williams leaving. Uh, so that's the number one cog in the offense. He's or the defense, excuse me. He's going to be, uh, you know, other than Andre Cisco, if Syracuse is going to stop the run this year, he's going to have to be a big part of it. And before we get you out of here, I want to do, I want to ask you a special teams question because Syracuse, once again, one of the best in the country last season. And that was even without a a truly elite punt returner. Again, Sean Riley's one of those guys who looks good on the outset, but the, the numbers don't necessarily back that up in terms of efficiency and stuff like that. But there's a lot of moving parts on the special teams. Do you expect them to be one of the best once again in the country? Dino Dino Babers hinted that we may be seeing True Williams uh, as a punt returner this year. Uh, I like his ability to be explosive on the uh, 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 for the Orange, so that could be an improvement. Uh, punt returning is one of the most underrated aspects in all of college football. Uh, obviously, we know how important field position is, so punt returning when you have so many bad college punters is crucial, and nobody ever talks about it. Uh, Riley had a few punt returns where he dazzled, but he was also overall, like you said, not very efficient. As far as the punting game goes, we don't know what to expect from the punter. Uh, that's kind of a big question mark. They don't have anyone um, who has any experience punting. Obviously, Hoffrichter was an All-American. He was one of the best in the country. He's now a Falcon in, uh, for the, in the NFL. So punting is going to be definitely a setback this year. How much of a setback? Who knows? Hopefully, uh, if the orange is, offense is more effective, they won't be punting as much. But I, I fear that they may need a big improvement in punter if they want to stay in the top five in the country and special teams efficiency. Yeah, that part does concern me a little bit. All right, before we let you go here, going to put you on the spot a little bit. You can ballpark this, but how many games do you think Syracuse wins? Now, let's just say that everything goes off without a hitch. Scrap and- Liberty off the schedule. 10, 10 games, 10 conference games okay, is all yeah. I care about. How many are they winning? So I agree with you that the Liberty game probably isn't going to happen. Um, I gave them four wins. Uh, I think they have home games against an NC State rebuilding team, BC, and Georgia Tech. Uh, And I think they steal one other game maybe against Duke, uh, and and that's their four. Uh, But I think there's a strong ceiling of about four or five wins because you look at North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Clemson, Louisville, and Notre Dame, and you're saying they're going to be double-digit dogs in probably every one of those games all on the road. Uh, so four wins, five is the ceiling. I'm going four. Okay. You think that's higher than some of your colleagues at the daily orange or where does that stack up with them? I'll be honest. I have not talked to my colleagues about, uh, our, our famed beat writer predictions. I was famously more bearish. <laughs> Mom, put in the group year. chat. I was famously more bearish I know a group chat. last year. Uh, I had them at eight and they ended up with five, but everybody was saying nine, 10. I didn't see that. Uh, this year, I'm a little bit more bullish, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say four wins. I think the narrative is that they're gonna be worse than that. Uh, yeah, because I think they're probably only favored in two or three games. 
You look at Georgia right. Tech, Boston College, and NC State. They're probably only favored in those three. Yeah, I've yeah. got them with three wins this play. year. Yeah, I think my number will be three right now, but we'll have to maybe do some more digging on that, Ty, as, as this approaches. Hopefully this season happens. But, Anthony, we thank you for taking some time here. Go check out his article and all his work over at Daily Orange. What's your Twitter handle, by the way? Uh, it's just at Anthony DeBundo. D-A-B-B-U-N-D-O, and we'll have more coverage coming. Um, I've got a column coming tomorrow. Our beat writer roundtable is coming out tomorrow as well uh, on – that is Thursday. So give that a read as well. We've got we got some more breakdowns on what we're expecting in 2020 and a column really on just what is happening with college college athletics right now and how, you know, is it is it right to expect amateurs to go through all this to play football and, you know, whatnot. I have some thoughts on that that I will be – uh, publishing tomorrow as well. So look forward to it. Cool. We'll be on the lookout for that. Thanks so much for taking some time, man. Absolutely. All right. Really hope you guys enjoyed that one. I thought it was great. Very insightful on my end from DeBundo, who is over at the Daily Orange. Really big into the numbers and the stats. And it's amazing all these little stats that are out there now tracking college football. So hopefully that helps you get ready for the Syracuse football season. We're going to be doing plenty more of that here on this podcast when we come back next week. Remember, we're here with you every single weekday, Monday through Friday, as we gear up for this football season. Wherever you get your podcast, just put in Locked on Syracuse, and it'll pop up for you. And you can find us on Twitter as well, at LO underscore Syracuse. So for Tyler, I'm Tim, and we'll talk to you guys on Monday. Oh.